Well, whose voice do we listen to? Who has the power to silence and who has the power to speak? These are the questions that are at play here in our text today. We have before us here a time in the synagogue. And Jesus would have often taught in synagogues. Remember, he was 40 miles north of Jerusalem. And so in those sorts of outposts, they would not have been able to worship in the temple. And on the Sabbath, they would have gone in to worship in the synagogue. And that would have consisted of reading and of having rabbis and teachers share their understanding about the reading. And so we have here before us a time in the synagogue that for all practical purposes seems safe until it's not. A man comes in who is not teaching, but who is screaming, who is not offering insight, but who instead is bringing chaos who is not responding in worship and amazement, but is bent instead on defiance and on war. Have you come to destroy us? The unclean spirit asks. I know who you are. What have you to do with us? The man comes with a spirit that is not able to listen that is not able to enter into connection, that is not able to work toward any form of understanding. That might seem obvious in our reading of the text this morning, but think of how this unclean spirit starts in how he launches the conversation. It assumes destruction. It claims to know the whole story. There's labeling involved. Immediately, the unclean spirit looks at Jesus. I know who you are, holy one of God. Have you come to destroy us? And even though the statement, by the way, is true, it is still bent on disruption and chaos. And Jesus doesn't seem interested in whether the statement itself is true or not. He's interested more in how it affects and disrupts the community. Have you ever been in a situation where violence and chaos erupted not physically, but verbally? Not yet in action, but in language. Perhaps we need not look farther than the last few weeks to think about how words impact the face of the world. To consider how the language that we use either sets us off in the direction of amazement or it sets us off into the direction of chaos and violence and fear. It's into this world that Jesus immediately speaks, not a word of rebuttal or defense. And that's important to note here in our text today, that Jesus doesn't rationalize. There are times to argue rhetorically, 
But Jesus recognizes that this is not the time for that. There are times for debate, but Jesus recognizes that this is not the time for debate. So Jesus acts. The text tells us that Jesus rebukes the spirit. I want to do a little bit of a word study here on what's going on with that word rebuke, because I find it very interesting. By the way, there are other times within the Gospels where we encounter a different word for unclean spirit, where the word actually is a little bit more um, direct in terms of where the spirit is coming from. And you'll see that in different texts where it'll talk about the demons, right? That's not happening in this text today. Specifically, the word is unclean spirit. I don't want to do a word study on that, but I just want to make note that there's a delineation between those two things. So the text tells us that Jesus rebukes the man. And the Greek offers two words put together for this word rebuke, epe timeo. Timeo, by the way, is where we get the word Timothy. Timothy means to honor God. Time, which is to honor, and then the, which is God. So timetheos is to honor God. But timeo is to honor. To honor has to do with how the weight is distributed. It's how you measure something. So oftentimes in scripture, when there is a word about judgment, it will be this word timeo. Not about the final judgment, but it has to do with more what you use in the marketplace, how the scales are operating. Is there honor on the table? Are things weighted evenly? That's what this word timeo is used for. So it's not just a word for honor in the civil sphere, but it's a word for honor in the marketplace too, meaning is there integrity? Can you trust what is being said? Epe is a Greek word that's a preposition that means around, something that goes around something else. So epitimeo means that Jesus redistributes. He goes around and makes sure that the honor is redistributed in that situation. It's also in other instances translated rebuke, which is why the text writers or the text editors in this particular context chose to use that word. But I want us to get at the heart of what it means because it has to do with weight with integrity, with redistributing, so that there can be an evenness within that space again. By rebuking this man, Jesus is recognizing that there is an honor that has gone wrong in this particular context, and it needs to be redistributed. The words that Jesus offer not only stabilize the situation, but their words actually work to restabilize the man. You notice that at the end of this story, the man himself is stabilized once again. So the rebuke that Jesus offers does not actually come from fear of the situation, which is what we might think happens when something happens that destabilizes our situation. Sometimes we respond in fear, but that's not actually what Jesus is doing. This work of rebuke that he's offering comes from authority. 
from the fact that he sees that there is something that has gone awry within the integrity of the moment, and he needs to set it right. Be silenced, he says, and that word is passive. Be silenced and come out of him. The way to shalom in this particular situation was by silencing this voice of violence, chaos, fear, labeling. And the only way that people were going to be able to experience what the text leads us to was that the crowds then experience amazement, curiosity, wonder. The only way that that was going to happen is if Jesus silenced the voice of fear and violence. The authority of Jesus in this situation leads us to notice that these other voices cannot be reckoned with, nor can they be rationalized. But the way to freedom is the silence of the other voice. Well, what does this mean for us today? I think over the last few weeks, we have all done some reflecting on the effect of destabilizing language within our culture. I think we've done some reflecting on the fact that there is some language that can't be entered into dialogue. I think we've also done some reflecting on the fact that when we encounter language like that, we long for somebody to have the authority to silence it. We long for someone to silence the voices of fear and bring us back towards the work of amazement. And it's interesting to note that what comes out of this moment with Jesus, that the crowds at the end of the teaching actually don't come to a conclusion about who Jesus is. The statement that the unclean spirit made is not necessarily the same conclusion that the crowds reach. But instead, they remain curious. They remain open. They remain wondering. They remain full of possibility. And this is where real opportunity lies. In that dimension of safe curiosity rather than legislated loyalty. But this morning, I want us to think a little bit beyond the national landscape, too. In my many years of being in therapy, I encountered the reality that, in fact, we all, no matter who we are, no matter what our stories, we all have different voices that are clamoring for our attention. We all have different voices that we listen to. Challenging upbringings in particular can, re- can result in voices that end up not serving us well into adulthood. And those voices end up labeling us. Perhaps you've heard those voices in the quietness of your unknowing moments, of the moments when you feel faced with challenge or faced with a scope of possibility before you. And those voices go like this, selfish, being selfish 
unworthy. You don't deserve to be there. Invisible. No one's going to see you anyway. You don't matter. Or forgotten. It doesn't make a difference. Your little life won't matter at all. Those voices show up, don't they? They show up at the times when we least need them to be there, and they clamor for our attention. And given the power, those voices too can take over, and they can make it almost impossible for us to succeed at anything. They cripple us in anxiety and in fear and chaos and in violence. And I know a therapist who has done great work, who has a name for these voices, and she calls them the gremlins. The gremlins. Because they come, and they perch right there on your shoulder, and they tell you the lie. We all have them. And the problems begin when those voices get all of the power, when those voices begin to set up shop and to live within us. Be silent, Jesus says, and come out of him. Here Jesus is as son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity, the one who has been chosen since before the foundation of the world. And here Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry modeling for us once again whose voice we need to listen to. Remember the voice that Jesus listened to in baptism, you are my son, the beloved And now Jesus is in the midst of the synagogue, and once again, he has to restabilize. Once again, he has to show us who are the voices that we listen to. Friends, we have always had trouble silencing different voices within our lives from the beginning of the book of Genesis until now. Be silent, Jesus says, and come out of him. You know, it's interesting what happens after the silence. We don't actually hear more from him, from the man who experienced deliverance. He's free. He's no longer carrying around this chaos within his body. He's no longer shouting in disruption. The man is redistributed, re-honored, realigned. His integrity is made right. He's restored. But that's not all. After the silence, the crowds get to reflect. You see, the voices get to change hands. And all of a sudden, the crowds get to come to the surface. A new voice comes out of the silence. Even Jesus' voice is quiet in the aftermath of this experience. You see, Jesus teaches us in this moment how to make space for the voice of others by using the authority of our own voice. The voices change hands. No longer does violence, fear, and chaos get the voice. But now the voices that are raised are those of wonder, curiosity, and the freedom to reflect. 
Friends, I want to close our time this morning by reading something that was published this week in the Houston Chronicle. And I want to note that as we enter this season of who we are as a nation, we need to be ready to be open to different voices that might need to be silenced. We need to be open to what might happen when those other voices come to the surface. There is a chapter in our nation that Dr. Martin Luther King began. And friends, we are moving into a different chapter now where that legacy is going to be owned by people in a different way and shared by others in a new way. And so the story that we might be used to, it's going to be changing. How can we make space for that within ourselves? Be silent, Jesus says, and come out of him. You see, there's space opening up in that synagogue this morning. This last week in Houston, what happened is that there was a speaker by the name of Marianne Williams who brought together a group of integrated people, white and black, into a space. And I'm going to pick up reading what happens as a person reflects on being in that presence of that auditorium that day. With nearly 200 black people in the audience on their feet, Williamson apologized for slavery, lynching, murders, rapes of black women, destruction of the black family, mass incarceration of black men, being called the N-word, and systemic and institutionalized racism, and more. As she continued for what seemed like forever, this is the writer, I felt a rage boiling inside of me that was followed by a Viola Davis ugly cry. I never thought I needed an apology from white people, but it felt like I was crying for my great-grandmother my grandmother, and all of my people who endured and died because of hate in this country. I cried for all the times that I felt marginalized, discriminated against, and invisible because of the color of my skin, even in my own industry. I cried for all the times I've watched black children, especially girls, had their esteem beaten down to nothing because they didn't fit the standard of white beauty. I cried because I didn't know how deep the hurt was. I could not stop crying. I opened my eyes to see everyone around me, white, black, Asian, like my friend who was Vietnamese, crying too. And I nearly collapsed to the floor from the emotional weight that I was feeling. But the harder I cried, the tighter the white woman and the girl held on to me. And there was a white man in the front pew who had turned around to face the entire audience. He had no one black to hold on to, but he seemed to be shouting Williamson's words for me to hear. It was one of the most powerful spiritual experiences that I've had. 
On my way out, I whispered thank you to the white woman and the girl who held on to me so tightly. They had kind eyes, and they thanked me back. Marianne Williamson is right. We need healing. We need real talk about racism in this country. It's time for white people to get it. An apology is a start. Published January 21st, 2018. Be silent, Jesus says, and come out of him. Make space for the voices that haven't had a chance to live. No more labeling. No more one-story lines. Be silent and come out of him. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for this text, for the reality of the authority of who Jesus is and for what that does to us in our lives today. We pray that you would give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see and the courage to know when to be silent and to know when to speak. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.